Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we discuss the upcoming lockdown in England and give you the lowdown on the new World Handicap system. Hey guys, it's Brooks Kepka. Uh, I just wanted to welcome you guys to the Golf Monthly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, brought to you in association with Titleist, the number one ball in golf. For more, visit titleist.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name is Tom Clark and this week I am joined by Elliot Heath. How are you doing, Elliot? Hello, Tom. Yeah, very good. Sun is shining here in Surrey and uh, going to play golf tonight at the driving range for what will be the last time until December. So, yeah. It could be worse, I guess. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. You may hear in the background every now and then some banging and drilling and soaring because my builders are having an awfully big day in my house building my loft extension. So that's all very exciting, but also slightly noisy. So hopefully that doesn't get in the way too much. Yeah, as, as Elliot has mentioned, uh, things have, have moved on quite quickly in the past week. It looks like England is going into some kind of lockdown and that, unfortunately, and Maybe surprisingly, that includes uh, England golf courses, which look like they're going to be shut on Thursday. So we're going to have a big chat about that. Uh, but also, it's been just a, a massive week as well, because also the World Handicap System started on Monday as well. So we've got a big bit of audio from one of our guys, Jeremy Elwood, trying to explain everything about the World Handicap System. If you don't know anything about it, what it's all about. So we've got a lot going on. And of course, a little bit of a, a, an update on what happened on the Pro Tours and what's going on with the Pro Tours as well. So a big podcast ahead. But most importantly, Elliot, how did you play at the weekend? Uh, I didn't play at the weekend, unfortunately. It was rained off on Saturday. And... Uh then had a bit of a hangover on Sunday after, I don't know, if, if any listeners know this game, it's called Charlie McDennis. Uh, tweet me, at eHeathGolf, if you know that game. So yeah, Sunday was a little bit of a write-off. Um, yeah, pretty relaxed weekend, to be honest. I'm a bit gutted I didn't get to play now because of, of the lockdown that's coming in. But, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, doesn't it? That's nearly positive from you there, Elliot. <laughs> so sorry, is that game a drinking game? Yes, there is a... Uh, a, a wine round, a beer round, and a spirit round. It's from the TV show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, if anybody knows that. Um, it, I think it's quite a niche game, but yeah, it's very fun and um, usually should not be played on school nights, which is why we did it on a Saturday. <laughs> that, I mean, I, you can't usually take up one pint of cider, so uh, wine, spirit, and beer for you is probably a bit too much, isn't it? Yes, yes, certainly. There are, there were some challenges where you have to kind of like auction off how many beers you can drink in five minutes uh, and nobody bidded higher than me. So I did three in five minutes, which sounds doable, but it's extremely difficult when you, you've countering like all the gas and stuff. But anyway, I think we're getting a bit off topic here. I don't think I think I've been out on a I've been out on a night with you and you haven't had three beers in a night. So God knows how you drunk three beers in five minutes. <laughs> small ones, but they're those small French ones you get from uh, from supermarkets. No, no, they were the three hundred thirty milliliter bottles, uh, not pints, obviously. Obviously, obviously. Anyway, we are probably going a little bit off off topic, but do you know what? I think that's all we're going to be able to talk about in a couple of weeks is, is drinking. So let's talk about the big 
you know, the big to topic of, of conversation, which is obviously, it looks like the lockdown is happening in England. Um, it was announced by the Prime Minister on Saturday that it was going to kick in on Thursday. But they, they then said lots of other things which gave us big hope for golf. Whereas obviously in March, when the first lockdown happened, everything got locked down. Obviously schools did, and people were only allowed to exercise for an hour. They haven't this time given a time limit on the amount of exercise. And they've also said that you can exercise with one other person from outside your household. I believe that's right. So it really sounded like, oh, actually, you know what? That sounds like golf can still happen. It's obviously outside. There's no time limit. You can play in a two ball. And the big thing which golf has been able to show over the last few few months is actually you can do it socially distanced. You know, you don't need to interact with the other player in any real sense other than chatting at a, a two-metre distance. So um, it sounded like there was no reason why golf courses should be shut. But then a couple of things have come out, including this morning that Michael Gove uh, has been on the radio and saying that golf courses and amongst other things, things like tennis courts as well, they will be shut. Uh, it's a bit of a joke, isn't it, Elliot? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, initially it looked like golf was closing because it was a, a non-essential leisure facility, but then what you said there about meeting up in twos to go and exercise, England golfers has made a great case, so has the all-party parliamentary group for golf as well, uh, headlined by Craig Tracy, the MP, so I think they've done an amazing job as the golf industry has throughout this whole pandemic. And yeah, I think the government know that golf is absolutely fine and safe to play, but it's probably just about how it looks really, isn't it? If golfers get to go and, and do their thing whilst the rest of the country doesn't, that I think it's literally all about the image problem, to be honest, because the only unsafe thing you could possibly say would be that you've got to get in your car and go to the, the golf course, but people wear face masks in the petrol station, people have sanitizer in their cars. Golfers are, tend to be a very responsible bunch of people. So, yeah, it's um, it's a real shame. There, there's a lot of guys campaigning. I've, I know Nick Doherty's doing an awful lot on social media about how great golf is for your mental and physical well-being. That's exactly what the parliamentary group said as well. So, yeah, at the end of the day, there's nothing we can do apart from just campaign we signed the petition it had best part of three hundred thousand signatures in a couple of days as well so you know if the government doesn't want it then there's nothing we can really do yeah and i think i think you're right there are some people who are really fighting this uh, england golf obviously being one of the one of them where they've they've written an open letter haven't they um really kind of like saying you know they're, they're trying to push for this saying there's no reason why golf is being done it and it and you are right i think that the only reason why it is being shut down is because of the image. But it just doesn't make any sense, does it? It's very, very frustrating. It doesn't make any sense. You know, cyclists are still able to go out and cycle. They can do that in a two. You know, they'll be flying around the roads if they want to do that. That's great. That's great for them. Runners can do it. You know, there's lots of other things that people can do. It doesn't make any sense to me why golf can't do it and... It's just very, very frustrating, especially when they're trying to push, saying, you know, you've got to keep active, you've got to keep exercising, you've got to, you know, as you say, keep your mental strength going. Golf's done brilliantly uh, at helping people during this time. We've seen so many new members of golf courses uh, join up uh, and, and enjoy the game. 
and at this time when you know whether when the weather is still just about hanging on in there, I think we've actually got a bit of a dry spell turning up as well at the end of this week. Oh, it typical. Makes, yeah, it, it just makes no sense, does it? It just makes no sense. It's just very, very frustrating. And people, I think, feel really, really let down by this all, don't they? Yeah, uh, especially when golf reopened in May and basically from May until the schools went back and eat out to help out, the cases went down. So uh, cases didn't go straight back up as soon as golfers got back out on the course. The cases went back up. Uh, in my opinion, I don't really know too much about this, but during the whole August, September time when people were encouraged to go to restaurants, pubs, schools were back open. Um, so, yeah, basically absolutely nothing to do with golf. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a massive shame, really. And it it hasn't been finalised yet. I mean, if you're listening to this on, on Thursday, I guess you'll know the result, but it, it doesn't look good at the moment. And I think it's all because of the image problem. And perhaps people think that golf is a posh sport, which it really isn't anymore. Yeah. But like I said, again, there's, there's nothing we can do apart from moan and be sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if people know you, then they certainly know that uh, golf is a posh sport, um, Elliot. Um, uh, <laughs> it, but it, you're, you're right. I think there is a, a bit of an image problem. And I think the thing that we've got to say straight away is that we are not you know, condoning people who, who are going against what the government's trying to do with the lockdown. That's not what we're, we're saying. You know, we, I think we're trying to be as cautious as possible. And golf has shown to be as cautious as possible about, about getting the game going again, haven't they? And, and golf's done everything that has been asked of it to help adapt with the situation that we're all living in. And we're certainly not saying that there shouldn't be a lockdown or anything like that. It's obviously a disaster what's going on in the country, and it's it's dreadful that all these people are still fit, falling ill and are still um, unfortunately dying for, from what's going on out there. But I think there's so much that can be done in in the country at the moment. Schools are staying opening, open businesses are still staying open to a degree. People, are, you know, my builders can still build; they're allowed to do that. Building sites are still allowed to stay open. Um, there's a lot. It's a lot different to the lockdown that we saw in March. So I think there's, there needs to be something to uh, be adapted. And golf should have been part of that. And other sports, and other, it's not just golf that we're, you know, I think that we're frustrated about. I think one of my friends is a big uh, player of tennis. And tennis was one of the first sports which were allowed to do it. And they again adapted to it. There's lots of, obviously, outdoor tennis courts. And again, they, they aren't allowed it. Uh, they're being locked down as well. So there's just a huge amount of frustration going on at the moment, especially at this, it's kind of like that last bit of, of the year where you can still, you know, you can still probably get a good round of golf in still. There is still enough daylight to get a round in and ho hopefully the courses aren't too wet. So I think people are just very, very frustrated with everything. And then I think that the other thing which is frustrating is that Wales, which of course went into lockdown a couple of weeks ago, now has been... An, announced that they are now coming out of being locked down and the golf courses are set to reopen next week, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, that's great news for Welsh clubs and Welsh golfers. And uh, I am going to go move to Wales in the next seven days, I think. Uh, but yeah, uh, courses are still open in Scotland as well. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Uh, Northern Ireland, they're open as well. Got a feel for everybody in the Re Republic of Ireland that are currently going through a six-week lockdown and, and golf's not allowed there either. So... Yeah, it's a, a wild time for all of us in GB&I. And, um, yeah, I, I don't really know if there's anything we can add to what we've already said. I think, yeah, it's ridiculous. So how are people going to get their golf fix for the next 
month. Is there anything happening in the next month or so which might help with people's golf, you know, gap in their game and their lives? Anything happening at all that you can think of? Uh, well, there, there is uh, the best golf tournament of the year coming up next week, which is it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing watching the Masters in November in darkness. Uh, it's going to be finishing earlier for us as well, which is going to be great. The course is going to look beautiful as ever. It's Yeah, it's, it's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait for that. Uh, we've got Black Friday as well the week after where I think it promises to be very good in the golf sphere with lots of great golf deals and treats and, and stuff perfectly in time for Christmas. So yeah, there's an awful lot going on this month. Obviously, we'll be covering the game from all aspects to keep you guys interested and educated and informed and entertained. But yeah, we, we won't be able to play golf actually physically. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, the Masters next week is the is the biggest you know remedy for our our pain here, isn't it? You know, having the best tournament at the you know what some of well most people's favourite golf course. Uh, people love watching the Masters, don't they? It's going to be very different. Obviously, no patrons there, but the course will still look immaculate. It'll have those autumnal colours as well, which I'm looking forward to seeing. And it's just you know I, I, I can't wait for it, and it's about the only thing which is going to keep us all sane I think over the next fortnight or so and um, hopefully we'll have a really good tournament to look forward to as well and of course we'll have a big preview of the Masters happening next week on the podcast which will be going live I think on Monday won't it next week uh, and it will get that in early as possible so people can uh, people can enjoy it all week and of course do check out the Golf Monthly website golf-monthly.co.uk and all our social media channels at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram and Golf Monthly magazine on Facebook to keep up to date with all the early news from Augusta and everything else that is going on in the world whether that be um, the lockdown, the events happening in the PGA and European Tour and of course Masters or what's happened also this week which is the world handicap system which started in england on monday it's been a busy week hasn't it <laughs> yeah just a bit i mean what a week it's been for england golf <laughs> with the lockdown and the world handicap system uh, yeah it must be absolutely crazy in those offices yeah I, I, I can only imagine and um so elliot has your handicap been affected by the world handicap system Ah, well, I told you last week that it had gone up from 4.7 to 4.9. Uh, basically, everybody in my golf group had seen their handicaps skyrocket, but it was off the wrong tees. So it's all live now. It's all back to how it should be. And I am now a 2.4 index. So I was 4.7 and my handicap has essentially halved. And yeah, I, I'm quite happy about that. I think that's uh, good for my ego, good for my street cred. And uh, yeah, I've only got three shots now instead of my usual five on the course because our course has uh, a difficult slope rating. <laughs> your street cred. I don't think anything can save your street cred, mate. But um, yeah, congratulations. So that's obviously the lowest. You haven't ever been lower than that, have you? I know it, it, the handicap system is, has, has changed, so it's, it's comparing apples with pears slightly. But uh, that is the lowest you've been, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There, oh, there's a massive asterisk next to it because it's not an official Kongu handicap. So I can't really say I play off two. I have to say my handicap index is 2.4. You can definitely say you play off two. Elliot. Really? Oh, awesome. Yeah. Street cred. 
<laughs> of course you can say that. If someone says that, you know, that's those conversations are still going to happen, aren't they, in the clubhouse? Oh, what do you play off? Oh, well, my handicap index is 2.4. That's what you'll say, isn't it? But my course handicap is actually three. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But yeah, yeah there were, those conversations are going to get longer and longer, aren't they? But, um, well, we, we, we're going to pause uh, with us two talking for the moment and um, let Jeremy Elwood get involved and explain everything that you need to know about the World Handicap System because there are some significant changes in there and there's changes to your own handicap, to where you might play as well. So we've got an extended bit of audio here, which Jeremy has has put together, which is really, really in-depth. So if you need to know anything about the World Handicap System, you are about to find out about it. So here is Jeremy Elwood. WHS, the World Handicap System, it's here. We're all now going to be playing by the same set of handicap regulations wherever we play golf in the world. In the UK and Ireland, for example, we've been used to terms like competition scratch score, standard scratch score, buffer zones, 0.1 increases for a long time. Those have all gone. There's a whole new set of terms to get your head around to understand how this slope-based system is going to work. We're going to pick out eight of what we think are the key terms to get your head around so you get a better understanding of how the new system works. Well, the most important term, I think, is handicap index, because this is what we all have now, rather than a handicap as such. And it's a, there is a key difference here, because the index is then used to determine how many shots you get on a given course off a given set of tees. Uh, and you'll get more shots on harder courses and fewer shots on easier courses, based on the slope rating, which is another term we'll come on to in a minute. In the transition from the old system to the new system, it will work out your best eight scores from 20 over a two-year period. Going forward, best eight out of a rolling 20, and it will average those out. And for those who didn't have 20 scores in the system when the changeover came, it will pro-rata it on the number of scores available and work out a suitable number of those to use to create your average. So handicap index is what you're going to have going forward rather than a handicap. So from Handicap Index we then come on to Course Handicap which is what you'll actually get when you play a given course and it's a factor of your Handicap Index, the tees you choose to play from and the slope rating from those tees. Um, you will actually from that then get a playing handicap depending on the format being played. For example, single stroke play events are going to be 95% of your Course Handicap. To calculate your Course Handicap, and you don't have to do this because this will all be done for you, you take the slope rating of the course divide it by the 113 average and then multiply it by your handicap index and that will give you your course handicap for the set of tees you're choosing to play from. Essentially what you really need to know is that if a uh, slope rating is above 113 you're likely to get more shots depending how much above it it is uh, and if it's below 113 you're likely to get fewer shots than your handicap index but that will depend on what your handicap index is and how much above or below that 113 average the slope rating of the course you're playing that day is. Course rating is the figure that trained course assessors expect a scratch golfer to get around a golf course in uh, and for the purposes of their calculations they assume 
scratch golfer is someone who can hit it 250 off the tee with a driver and uh, 230 with a fairway wood in normal playing conditions. For a lady, I think those figures are 210 and 170. So the course rating will um, sometimes be more than the par of the course, sometimes less than the par of the course, and that will depend on factors such as topography, fairway width, uh, difficulty of holes, amount of out-of-bounds, factors that make one course harder than another, and course assessors take all of that into account. I suppose for those of us in the UK and Ireland, it's similar to the way in which standard scratch score often was different to the part of the course one way or the other by a shot or two. The final piece of the jigsaw then to allow us to get the slope rating is the bogey rating and this is effectively the same as the course rating but for a 20 handicap male golfer or 24 handicap lady golfer uh, and they assume in the assessments there that a 20 handicap male golfer will hit it 200 with driver 170 with a fairway wood Obviously we all know people who vary massively one way or the other from that, but that's the average. Ladies, the figures are 150 and 130. And the idea here is this will assess how difficult the golf course is to get round for golfers in that handicap bracket. From there, we then go on to work out what the slope rating is. So now we come onto the crux of the whole system, the slope rating, and this uses course rating and bogey rating to assess the relative difficulty of a golf course for good players, if you like, and slightly less skilled players. Now, these slope ratings vary from 55 for what would be a fairly easy course up to 155 for a very difficult golf course. 113 is the uh, key figure. It's the average against which uh, the difficulty level of a golf course is assessed. We'll come on to that a little bit more in a minute. The idea is that a harder a golf course is, the more strokes a higher handicapper might need to get round on an equal basis with a lower handicapper. The difficulty level kind of goes in a curve. And if you want an example of what I mean by that, let's uh, think about Augusta National. Tour pros are often asked, how would an average 20 handicapper fare around here in the uh, Masters setup? And they'll say they wouldn't come remotely close to breaking 100, 110 even. Whereas that same 20 handicapper could play around a relatively easy golf course in the early 90s. Now I've looked on the England Golf website and it tells me that my handicap index is going to be 4.3. Now that means around this golf course here at the London Club, we've done the maths, I would get 5.25, 5.3 shots, so I'd play off five if I played off the tips around here. If I played elsewhere, or even harder golf course, let's say Carnoustie, Trump International off the back tees, the slope rating is going to be somewhere up in the 140s, maybe even 150. I suspect I would get six shots around there. But the difference is a higher handicapper going to a place like that, let's say you're playing off 21 or 22, you might find when you get to Trump International and you decide to take it on off the back tees, wisely or unwisely, you might find you're getting 28 or 29 shots. I haven't done the precise maths, but the higher your handicap, the more shots you are likely to get over and above your handicap index than a lower handicapper. Conversely, of course, if the slope rating is lower, you're going to get fewer shots. Um, now, the good news is you don't have to do all this math yourself. Clubs should be displaying course handicap information on notice boards, on um, perhaps big boards by the tee, hopefully on the website. So all the figures are there for you. All you have to do is cross-reference your handicap index against the slope rating of the tees you've chosen to play from that day and you'll find out how many strokes you're entitled to for that given round.
Okay, so that's the basics. Now there's a few other little things that are going to have some bearing on how the whole thing works. One of those is the playing conditions calculation, PCC. And this is going to factor in other conditions on the day out on the golf course, weather, um, firmness of fairways or whatever, that either make the course particularly easy or particularly hard. And it's going to factor that into the handicap calculations for that day based on anyone out on the course that day playing in a competition or putting in a card for handicap. And it can go down one, it can go up plus three. Those of us in the UK are kind of used to a similar thing with the competition scratch score, which um, mitigated against the course playing particularly easy or particularly hard on a given day. So that will still be there for those of us in the UK. It may be new to people elsewhere in the world. Finally then, there's a couple of what you might term safeguards in the system which we just need to talk about here. The first of those is the low handicap index. Uh, and this is an anchor point, which is the low point of your handicap over a 12 month period. And uh, your handicap cannot rise by more than five shots from that. And I guess that's to mitigate possibly against foul play, I suppose, but more uh, a really poor spell of form seeing your handicap go like that, which it would do under the new system more so than under the old system for those of us in the UK and Ireland where 20 bad rounds would see you go up two shots, 0.1 times 20. 20 really poor rounds under the new system could in, in theory see your handicap rise massively. So there's going to be a limit of five and there's also a couple of things called soft and hard caps. The soft cap, um, once your handicap has gone up by more than three from that LHI, low handicap index, anything above that between there and five only goes up by half what it would do under the normal calculation. So if it would have gone up to five, it only goes up to four. If it would have gone up to six, it only goes up to 4.5. And then there is the hard cap, which is that five, that absolute limit by which your handicap cannot go up by more than that over the course of a 12 month period. Finally then, we have a safeguard the other way, if you like, by the exceptional score reduction measure that's going to be built into the system. And this is really to ensure that if you have an absolute blinder and you play a long way below your handicap index, your handicap index gets affected by more than it would do under the normal calculation. And the bar has been set at seven. If you have a score differential in a round, which is seven or more, so you play seven shots better than your handicap index, there will be an extra minus one set against your handicap index and that will apply to all the 20 current counting score differentials which means that over time it will gradually drop off but at that particular moment you'll have an extra one shot taken off your handicap. Finally then if you shoot 10 under your handicap, handicap index, um, you're going to have a two stroke additional reduction applied to your 20 current counting score differentials and that's just to make sure that um, your, your handicap index reflects your current ability and that you don't therefore go and clean up in competitions because the normal calculation didn't give you a big enough reduction. And if it was just a freak once in a lifetime score then uh, gradually over the next few rounds it will work its way back out of your handicap index. So there we are, those are what we think are the key terms you need to know about the World Handicap System. You can go into as much detail as you like elsewhere on the Home Union websites but the key things you really need to know are handicap index, and the slope rating of the course you're playing from the tees you're playing from that day. So what do you think of the World Handicap System, Handicap Index? Do you know what yours is? Has it surprised you? Do you think the system is going to be better or worse than the old system for us in the UK and Ireland? Let us know your thoughts, but for now, from a slightly uh, 
wet and windy London club, it's goodbye. There you go. Thanks to Jez for that very, very in-depth chat about world, the World Handicap System. It really kind of covered all the bases. And there is a lot to get your head around, isn't there, Elliot? Yeah, sort of. But, uh, yeah, I think with that information that Jez has just given us all, I think we basically know everything now. Once you actually read about it, it's fairly simple. And there's only certain things that you actually need to know. So what would what would be your top tips? What do you need to know, Elliot? You know, you you've you're you're a club golfer. What do you need to know? You need to know obviously your own handicap index. And how would you find that out now, Elliot? Your club would would have a, a full list now. Um, our club's just sent out a full list, so I've actually been able to see everybody's handicap at the club. Obviously, I know who like the the best golfers are at our club from seeing them at the club championships and and seeing what tournaments they win. And everybody's actually gone down. So we, we've now got quite a lot of guys who were off kind of like two, three or one. And, and they're all plus figures now. So that's changed. But yeah, I really don't think you need to know much, to be honest, other than your handicap index, because it'll all be there for you on a chart, uh, either by the first tee or like, you know, where the notice boards are or something. So, uh, yeah, it should be very simple. I would say you can put as many cards in as you want as well. So make sure that if you want to put a card in, you've got to declare it before you go out. Yeah, and I think that's very clear, Elliot. You know, once you've found out your own handicap index, if, whether you're playing at your own club or you're visiting another club, you should always then be able to find out very, very quickly uh, what, what's going on with the with the charts, which will either be on the first tee or very well signposted, um, I'm sure. So, um, you know, I think there's... As you say, there is a lot of people worrying about lots of different things. Actually, I think it should be pretty simple once you've um, found out your own handicap index. Um, yeah, but, I'm, yeah. uh, sorry, I'm not fully convinced with it just yet, but I do think that it's very cool that the system is completely worldwide and we can basically turn up at any golf course in the world and easily have a handicap. And we can almost like compare ourselves to other golfers in the world as well, whereas before with all these different systems, you can never really know. But now there will officially be the lowest handicap player in the world or the highest rated course in the world. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm not fully on board with it yet, but uh, it's quite cool that it's, it's united the, the golfing world. And uh, do you think there's anything else that should be happening? The reason I say that is because, obviously, it's great if you are a golf club member um, you know, you've got all this in in front of you, stuff like that. What do you think for the kind of like the nomad golfer? I'm talking about myself here. You know, I don't, I'm not a member of a golf club at the moment. I play off 18, I say. How do you think that's going to affect something like someone like me? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I was thinking about that because uh, you class yourself as an 18 handicapper. But if you were a club golfer, you would probably get more shots than that because the handicap, uh, sorry, because of the slope rating and stuff. So if I were you, I would just say I'm going up to 24 now. Um, maybe if you play a really easy course, play off 18. But um, yeah, it, I'd say it's tricky because you don't really want to do that, though, do you? You don't because that sounds like completely mucking around with everything. You know, if I'm playing against you, suddenly you're we've gone from saying having 13 shots. Say you used to play off five and I play off 18. There's 13 shot difference. Suddenly you're playing off potentially two or three. 
and then you're saying that I should be playing off 21. Suddenly, it's a, it's a huge difference there, isn't it? It's kind of like a six-shot difference. So, um, I think it's something that... Uh, it's, it is a shame that they decided against allowing all players, whether they're members or not, to have handicaps, isn't it? Which they, they took a, a couple of months ago. Uh, yeah, that, that some people feel like that, but uh, that's just the way it is when, when you join a golf club, because if you are a nomad golfer, you probably, well, I guess you, you would still want to play in competitions. That is true. So there's um, yeah. something quite contentious there. But for you, um, maybe if you just keep your handicap index at 18, and then when you go to a course, just add on the necessary shots that you would if you yeah, were yeah. an 18 handicapper. So well, they might go up or down, might they? You know, I think that, yeah. that's the thing. You've got to still, there's no difference. You've still got to try and hit your index. It's just, um, yeah, it depends how, obviously, the, on the on the how, how tough the golf course is. So um, I think there's going to be lots of other things to rumble around around this. It's a shame that, obviously, obviously, I think a lot of people would have been looking to play for the first time this coming weekend. Uh, and that's not happening, is it? Yeah, I had a competition booked. I'm gutted. <laughs> yeah, so... That's, I think the proof of the pudding, obviously, is in the tasting. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to have to wait a good month or so before they, they do experience um, uh, the whole new system. So um, obviously, do let us know if you have used it over the last couple of days or so. And if you've had uh, your best ever score or you think the scores are you know are, are completely out or that, that actually they're, they're working really well, do let us know um, either on our social media channels at Golf Monthly Twitter, Instagram, Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook, or you can email as well, golfmonthly at futurenet.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Moving on, we're going to finish uh, the podcast today with the uh, pro events. Looking back firstly on what happened over the past weekend. So on the PJ Tour, it was the Bermuda Championship. Brian Gay beat Wyndham Clark with a birdie on the first extra playoff hole to win his first title since January 2013. The 48-year-old became the oldest PJ Tour winner since David Love III at the 2015 Wyndham Championship. He shot a final round 7-under to finish at 15-under par. Gay now has five PJ Tour wins and is up to 181st in the world. Brian Gay has been around on the tour for an awful long time, hasn't he? Um, he is known for being a very short hitter, isn't he, as well? But he's won five times on the PGA Tour. He's, he played very well, I thought. Yeah, absolutely clutch finish. Uh, I think he bogeyed the par 5-17th, which is not very clutch, but then stuck a wedge to about 18 inches in regulation to make the playoff and then hold a fantastic birdie putt to win. So, yeah, he birdied the 18th twice in a row. Uh, yeah, really good on him. A quality player, great short game. And this course is only 6,800 yards. So uh, you would probably think of somebody like Brian Gay before the, the week to win. And uh, yeah, yeah, very good on him. Really good to see a 48-year-old win on tour again. And um, I'm sure he's quite looking forward to playing on the Champions Tour in a couple of years. Yeah, I think he's, he's had his card now. For some, I think I saw this stat. That I think he turned pro, I think in 99. And he's kept his card for 21 straight years, you know, which is pretty good going, isn't it? That's that's a, that's a that's a very very decent thought, uh, a very very decent sorry career on the PGA Tour, uh, and he's obviously done very well for himself. So um, not someone who's at the top of the leaderboards that that often nowadays, but it's good to see uh, him play very well. Um, and kind of that kind of mirrored what happened on the European Tour at the Cyprus Open, where Callum Shinkwin won his maiden European Tour title at the Cyprus Open. 
The Englishman finished birdie eagle to get into a playoff where he beat Finland's Kali Samuya on the first extra hole. And he's now up to 168th in the world. And he played very well, didn't he? And uh, great to see another Englishman winning their first tour title. Yeah, I really thought Kali Samuya had it in the bag, but just an unbelievable finish from Shinkwin. That eagle on the, the 18th hole was out of this world good to hole it from, I think it was 53 foot. So, uh, so yeah. Good on him. I think he then went and birdied the first extra hole with a, a sandy up and down. And, yeah, he's been tipped for, for greatness, actually. I, I remember our writer Nick Bonfield interviewed some... It was when he was at the French Open about five years ago. He was interviewing a lot of people saying, who's the next up-and-coming English player? And they, I think quite a few went for Callum Shinquin. So I'm not quite sure why it hasn't happened to him just yet. But uh, clearly a, a fantastic player. I remember he finished runner-up to Rafa at the Scottish Open a few years ago as well. So hopefully this will give him a nice kickstart to, to start climbing the world rankings, get into maybe the top 50 in the next couple of years. Yeah, he, he obviously played very well. He's he's obviously someone who's who's obviously tipped by a lot of very good people to, to play very well. And he's also playing this week at Cyprus again. Can you give us a lowdown on the quite unique tournament they're playing this week? Yeah, I love the sound of this. So... The top 32 players after 36 holes go through to the weekend. On the weekend, there is a shootout on Saturday. It's not match play, it's all stroke play. The top 16 then progress to Sunday. And then on Sunday, the scores reset again. And it's just 16 players who can shoot the lowest score. I really, really like the sound of that. The European Tour have done a lot of these, I guess they would call them innovative formats, but they all tend to involve match play, whereas I really like this stroke play one. So, yeah, you said it would be quite upsetting for somebody if they shot a couple of 62s and then the scores reset. But that's just the name of the game, isn't it? It's going to be really interesting to see who can um, get through to the weekend and then basically shoot the lights out on Sunday. Yeah, no, it, it, it could be very frustrating. If um, I think we're, the reason why I mentioned that is because I think I tipped someone before and an Australian event. What was the name of the Australian event when they when they used to do this? World uh, Super Six Perth. That's it, yeah. So I think I think I had Marcus Fraser and I think he was I think he was leading I think something by eight shots, I think, at, after two rounds. And then had to go to the match play. Now I think he went on to win anyway, but um I think you would have been you would be slightly frustrated if suddenly you have your best first two rounds of the year and you've got to, it suddenly gets reset. And you could actually get knocked out the next uh, the next day. So it, it, it'll be interesting. And I think they'd do well. Uh, Shinkwin, I see, is playing again. And as I think um, they're obviously playing at the same place as last week as well, Aphrodite Hill. So um, I think there's a it's not a bad-looking field as well. Is there anyone that you think is going to do well? Uh, I like the look of Garrick Higo last week. I think he's only 21. I didn't realise how young he was. The left-handed South African. He had a really good tournament. Uh, but this is just a, a kind of pick'em event, isn't it, on that last day when there's 16 players? I would imagine that you would be quite good at picking this because I think you've picked the winner at the World Super 6 Perth a couple of times, which is a, a very similar format, as we mentioned before. But I would also say that I thought the course looked fantastic. Uh, I think it's really helped put Cyprus golf on the map. And I think a lot of Brits and Europeans will want to head out there and, and go and play this course because the first time I've seen it, I've heard of it before. But it, it looks spectacular. Yeah, I, I actually went to Cyprus uh, on holiday last year, although I didn't play any golf. And um, 
I kind of went out, out out there without doing too much research. Um, I was there with friends and family, and um, it was fantastic. And it was, Cyprus was a, it's a beautiful place to go to as well and visit. And you can see that from the coverage last week. It's not that far as well. And also, Elliot, you're like this. It's pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend's family are also of Cypriot heritage as well, so I don't know how I haven't been there yet. But oh. I will definitely be playing this course, possibly next year, but certainly in the future. You've got to go, mate. You've got to go. It's, it's a fantastic place. Really, really nice. I, 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 as you say, I have had a bit of luck in these um, funny competitions and tournaments that they do. And the guy that uh, I think he could do pretty well is Sammy Valamaki, who I think is about 30 to 1. He's been playing some decent golf anyway. But he's the kind of person I think he's, he's, um, could, could enjoy this, this format. It's tricky. You want to tip someone who's who's got the ability to shoot the lights out of it, haven't you? On that last day, everyone's going to be going for it, aren't they? There's not going to be anyone who's going to be struggling, you know, trying to finish with pars. All the flags are going to be shot at as well, aren't they? So maybe someone who's got quite a lot of flair, you know, might might really enjoy themselves if they can get through to that final day. So maybe even someone like Roman Lengask as well, 40 to 1. I think that's pretty decent odds as well. I know Thomas Detry is... Um, is the favourite, but there's quite long odds all throughout this because I don't think anyone really knows exactly what's you know what's going to be expected of the winners. So I think quite a lot of good opportunities to make a bit of money if you can pick it, pick someone who makes it through to the Sunday. Yeah, uh, what about Oliver Fisher, Mister Fifty Nine? He's shown us before that he can go very low. Uh, I think I've just seen him at one hundred twenty-five to one, so might be putting a quid each way on him. I think that's a great shout as well. So, um, obviously, for all our betting tips, which we, I know we've already given away quite a few there already, um, do uh, Google Golf Betting Tips and click on our uh, posts or go to the Golf Monthly website, golf-monthly.co.uk, and click on the betting advice. We're going to finish off with the final event on the PJ Tour before the Masters, uh, and that is the Houston Open. And some big names are preparing for Augusta, including world number one Dustin Johnson, who headlines the event after missing the CJ Cup and Zojo Championship due to COVID-19, but he's recovered, which is great to see. Brooks Koepka returns from injury, and Till Hatton, Tony Fina, Adam Scott, Jason Day, and Hideki Matsuyama are also in the field, as well as the person who won last year, and that's Lanto Griffin, who's been in pretty decent form the last couple of weeks. I think this could be a really exciting event, couldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Really good to see quite a strong field. Obviously, the Masters next week, and I guess a lot of people want to to tune their games in time. I'm really looking forward to seeing Kepka in action. He helped redesign this golf course, and I don't know if you watched his massive Instagram story last week, but it was uh, him and his girlfriend, Jenna Sims, on the golf course answering questions. Really entertaining watch. I think it's on her Instagram TV at the moment, and he was seven under par through eight holes during this practice round, so um, clearly got the game at the moment, just needs to, to do it with a scorecard in his hand. And this could be a great week for him to tune up ahead of Augusta next week. Yep. We, we've known he's got, um, he's usually times his uh, his form around majors. And uh, yeah, he's, he's obviously playing very well. If he's, It's just if he can, his body can, you know, can, can actually deal with four rounds at the moment. He's obviously had a few injury issues, but I think we're really interested to see how well he's playing. Interestingly, like, Till Hatton is is a uh, second favourite this week as well. He got to remember how well he's been playing as well. It's great to see him up there, isn't it? Oh yeah, rightly so. He's easily one of the world's best players at the moment. I'm not sure if he's 
still hanging on to the world's top 10. But yeah, not a weakness in this game. He's confident. He's in form. Definitely could win this week. Um, but hopefully not. Hopefully he wins next week. Well, absolutely. If we can win both, that would be good. Um, so any, anybody else that you like the look of this week? Uh, it's very difficult to ignore Tony Finau just because he finishes second basically about 10 times a year. So uh, always good for each way money. And uh, he's got to be due a win sometime soon, hasn't he? True. I thought you were going to get Victor Hovland, I'll be honest with um, Yeah. Why not? He's a fantastic player as well. Uh, it's such a shame that he's not in the Masters next week after finishing low amateur that uh, their last last year in his debut. But obviously, COVID has has meant that the field was finalised all the way back in March. So there's nothing he could have really done. But obviously, he will be in for next year's Masters, which is obviously only six months away. Strangely, for those of you that don't know, the uh, the field. It's kind of been frozen but from what it would have been had it been played in April. Uh, I know there's been a few changes, but um, so Hovland, unfortunately, is one of the guys that has missed out, but he's been playing pretty decent. He's 25 to 1. I think he's got a chance. I actually like the look of defending champion Lanto Griffin because he's been playing very, very solid the last few weeks. He's also good odds at 40 to 1 as well. But there's a really decent looking field. And there's one person who I'm really, really interested to see how his game is the week before Augusta, and that is Jordan Spieth. He is as long as like 70 to 1 this week. He's been playing a little bit better, but only a little bit better. Nowhere near to the form that we know he can play in. But we also know how good his game is and how well he has played at Augusta in the past. Spieth, if he finds a little bit of form this week, could then make a little charge at Augusta, couldn't he? Um, so I'm, I'm very, very interested to see how he plays. How do you think he's going to go? Uh, probably not very well. I'm a massive speed fan. I absolutely loved watching him during his glory years. But from what I've seen, his long game is just in absolute tatters. Yeah, I guess you can never back uh, back away from him at Augusta because 2016, I think his long game was pretty awful as well. And he was five shots clear with only nine holes to play because he was just putting the lights out, missing it in the right spaces. So, yeah, he, he knows the course well. He can putt and chip out of this world good. But for me, his long game is is um, just not up to standard, unfortunately, which is, yeah, a massive shame. And also, when I, when I was at Augusta in 2018, Patrick Reed won. Speed had a huge charge on the final day. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. And he bogeyed 18 when he hit a tree off the tee. But I think he shot 64, I think, off the top of my head. I might have got that wrong. Might have been 65. Um he, he, you know, he he was actually gutted. He thought he was afterwards. He said, "Oh, I could have shot sixty-two today." You know, he, he was he's playing that well. He so he there is something about Augusta, a bit like Tiger Augusta. Spieth does seem to really love playing there, and it does suit his 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 fantastic short game, which, as you say, he still has got. So, I don't know whether if he can find just something in his long game this week, uh, maybe he's someone to look at. We've probably spoken about him for too long for someone who's been playing so badly and he's, I think, 60 or 70 to 1 this, to win this week. But he's always a name that is, is considered and um, I wouldn't be surprised if he does play very well at Augusta next week as well. And um, that's probably a good place to leave it because this is the last podcast before our Masters preview, which will be on Monday next week. We're all very, very excited about that. Um, 
and really, really looking forward to it. Is there anybody else that you, you think you're going to be looking out for to see how they play this weekend uh, and then you'll be chatting about next week? Yeah, Lee Westwood is in the field and I actually quite fancy Westwood for the Masters next week. It's obviously going to be very difficult for him to win a major. He's shown us so many times that when it comes down to it in a major, he just doesn't quite have his A game when he needs it. But I think he's been playing wonderful golf the last couple of years, won some massive Rolex series events, kind of had a bit of resurgence. He's into Peloton, he's into fitness now, he's looking in wonderful shape. And I think his putting's actually really improved as well from where it was about five years ago. So um, I would absolutely love to see Westy put on a green jacket next week. And I think there's a decent chance of it, I will say. Blimey. There we go. We heard you here first. So there you go. First bit of preview for the Masters uh, from Elliot there. We will have a full, full preview on Augusta. We'll be chatting about all the favourites. They include Bryson. We'll be chatting about Tiger. And we'll be chatting about world number one DJ as well. It's great that we've got this to look forward to. So please to join us next week when we will be previewing the 2020 Masters finally, even though it's November, and we'll be enjoying everything that's going on there. So until next week, Elliot, thanks for chatting this week. Thanks, Tom. Speak to you next week. Yeah, we'll do. And to everyone listening, thanks for listening, and we will speak to you again next week. <laughs>